And so we turn to the last section of Colossians. It's Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. And if you'd like to use the Bible that's in the pew, it's on page 985, so easily to be found. They're letting me read this morning so I can mess up the words instead of somebody else. Okay. <clears throat> Colossians 4, verse 7. Tychicus will lead, tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha in the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, Write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Thus the reading of God's Word. In 1906, uh, John Huddleston had bought a tract of land about 40 acres or so near Murfreesboro, Arkansas. I didn't know there was a Murfreesboro, Arkansas. I only know the one in Tennessee, but... So not long after he had bought this land, he noticed a shiny stone on the land, and he immediately scarfed it up and decided he was going to drive into town, you know, uh, ride into town and see what this was. And he said, "On my way, I saw another stone like that, and got it as well. Goes into town, finds out that these are diamonds." One and a half carat and two and a half carat diamonds that he finds. And so began this history of what in 1972, we just don't have time to go into history, but what in 1972 became the Crater of Diamonds State Park of Arkansas, run by the state obviously now. And since that time in 1972, they found some 40,000 diamonds. It's open to the public. 60,000 people go there every year. Chances are rather slim. Only two diamonds a day are found, but it could be you. Uh, Hillary 
Clinton wore one of those diamonds found in that uh, mine uh, or that area at the uh, inaugural ball. And uh, then this interesting thing, this David Anderson went there for the first time in 2007, became enamored, moved to Murfreesboro so he could make regular visits. And since 2007, he's found 400 diamonds. And April 15th, he found a six-carat diamond. It was freshly after a rain, which is many times a good time because they've been uncovered. It's, uh, the, it, what, what's there really is the eroded surface of a volcanic, a volcanic crater that brought all of these stones up. Why do I bring this up? No reason. I just wanted you to hear about this. <clears throat> Sometimes when you get to the end of a letter like this, you kind of think, well, everything's over. This is just, you know, coasting to the end. And all we have is a little track of dirt here, okay? But I'd like to suggest to you that there are wonderful jewels, wonderful stones uh, to be found in this passage to enrich us and to teach us about uh, the people of God. And what's really great about these uh, sections, this is the longest one outside of Rome, uh, the, the letter to the Romans. It's the longest one dealing with greetings, probably because both of those places were not places he had visited. So he's really trying to make connections and, and uh, be sure that there's, there are good greetings and good welcoming back and forth uh, for these uh, particular churches. Uh, so, uh, the title is uh, Beloved and Faithful, and, and I want to look at it this way. If we're going to be one another's beloved and faithful, what will that look like, okay? What will that look like? And basically, I'm just going to talk about two things, keeping up with each other, okay, and serving each other. Very simple. We're going to be each other's beloved and faithful as we keep up with each other and as we serve each other. So keeping up with each other is quite obvious here, isn't it? Isn't it interesting that as he introduces uh, Tychicus and Onesimus, they're actually bearing the letter to Paul, I mean to uh, Colossae. And he says three times there in that first uh, few verses that they will tell you what's going on with us. Okay, They'll tell you all the news. They couldn't put that much in the letter, but he's going to be there. That was the way they conveyed news, person to person. Let me tell you what's been going on with Paul. And notice that it is an, it would be a way of encouraging their hearts. So a constant desire to find out from each other as well, Paul would get reports from the various churches as to what's going on with them as well. Uh, and it's interesting, in F, uh, the letter to Ephesians, he has almost the same thing about Tychicus, that he's going to come, he's a beloved brother, faithful minister, and he's going to tell you about what's going on with us. So he apparently bore both of these letters uh, and uh, he is addressed in the same way in both of them as one who's going to tell you all about us. Then there are the greetings that are given so that there are these connections. And you have to bear in mind these greetings are coming from like the dream team in a sense. 
Uh, if, I, if, if I mention the dream team of the Olympics, you could start reeling off, you know, uh, Jordan and Barkley and all these guys. And so this brings them in to these leaders along with Paul, uh, like Aristarchus, for instance, in verse 10. He, it's, you can go to your cross-references and find out all this information, but he was in Ephesus when uh, everything broke out with Artemis, the, the, the uh, goddess there, and, and a riot broke out. Well, he was one of two guys that were seized and looked like they were going to tear him from limb to limb. So he was with Paul there. With Paul when he came to Jerusalem at the end of the third journey and with Paul all the way to Rome. And if, as many think that this was written from Rome, here he is bearing this, uh, giving greetings to these people in Colossae. Tychicus has the same kind of uh, importance. Uh, so these, these are guys that are right-hand men with Paul, giving greetings, greetings, making them feel connected, letting them know what's going on in their life. Now, the application for us is, is varied, and it's really comprehensive. It begins with you, you and I knowing church history or beginning to delve into church history and see what God has done with his saints throughout history. Uh, that is a, a wonderful endeavor for you to be encouraged by what God's done and how faithfully his people have stood for him in their suffering. Uh, and then to engage in world Christianity today, to keep up with what's happening in the world. You can go to websites like Christian Post or Christianity Today or read the magazine World uh, that can constantly keep you in connection with what God is doing with other Christians. It should be for us this huge, important uh, affair that we're always opening up our hearts and receiving what is happening in the world with other believers. Particularly, Paul says here, remember my chains. So remember his suffering. Bear in mind what I'm going through. There's a persecution.org website that, that surveys for you all this, the actual suffering going on among Christians around the world. And so I, I would challenge you that this is a critical, really important aspect of your Christianity, that you begin to open your life up to what God is doing, has done in history, and what God's doing in the world. And as well, it would mean that you embrace those who are connected to our church that are going out in the mission field or with RUF. I just mentioned a few, uh, Ben and Anna Graber, for instance, who are headed for Germany, that you would uh, get their newsletter, that you would keep up with them and pray with them, and that it would be an encouragement for you to hear what God is doing there. Uh, the same thing for Ian and Heather Jones, who are in a sensitive area overseas, that you get, and, but they're members of our church, as Ben and Anna are. And I'm saying that because here's a great starting point with actual members of our church that are in other places. 
Do you know them? Are you keeping up with them? Have you signed up for their newsletter? Are you reading and praying for them? You see, these are ways that we do what you see is being done here, eagerly waiting for what's going on with what God is doing in the world at that time uh, through Paul. Uh, the same thing with uh, our RUF guys. You know, Jonathan Davis, Brian's brother at Kentucky. Jeff Wilkins, who was a youth director here for years, and now he's at Tennessee Tech. Um, or Steve Persifield, who was a member here. And on the pool com- committee, and in spite of what he did, okay, of calling me, still support him and get to know him at Texas Tech. Matt Odom, close to home at UNT, and even closer to home, Ryan Anderson at TCU. Do you get even Ryan's newsletter? Find out what is God doing right here in our midst in Fort Worth, or Keith Berger, who we have the privilege of his presence in our congregation. He's taught Sunday school, leads a small group, and he is over dozens of RUF uh, ministries in the West, ministering to these guys on uh, the campuses. So I, I want to urge you to embrace one another as we see the eagerness that is here to know each other and know what's going on. <clears throat> it was a pretty sad thing when they found Saddam Hussein in that hole, right? I mean, it was really pathetic. And he came out, you know, dazed and confused and given up to his fate and all this kind of thing. But this mighty you know, quote, warrior, dictator, tyrant, living in a hole in the ground. You know, that's what he had been reduced to. And I'm not comparing you to Saddam Hussein, you know, broadly. But in the sense of living in a hole in the ground, unaware of what's going on around you, maybe even unaware of what the ministries of our church are even involved in, there is perhaps some similarity and this is this has urged me all the more to get out of my hole in the ground, right, and to open myself up to the wonderful uh, ministries that are around. In a sense, you could say, "Hey, get in the game, okay? Get in the war. It is out there. It is ongoing. We need to feel a part of it. We need to be what some call world Christians, where." The world and what God's doing in the world is a part of our life and our heart. It's part of our prayers. It's part of our passion. It's part of what Paul says in the letter right before this, Philippians 2, of in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. I would suggest to you that the reason you and I don't do that, you know, keeping up with the world, is we're not humble, we're not concerned to count others as more significant, and we're not counting their interests above our own. Our interests rule the day. And honestly, do you have to say with me, sometimes I don't even care. I don't even care. I just care about what I'm going through, what I'm facing. And we are impoverishing ourselves as opposed to these Christians that were constantly being enriched as they, with bated breath on the edge of their seats, were always waiting to hear what God was doing in the world. Let that be us. And God will graciously cause that to happen. If he calls that to happen in their life, 
He will cause it to happen in our lives as well. So, first point, simply keep up with each other. And, of course, along those lines is that we naturally be keeping up with those in our congregation. So that's where it begins, opening my heart to embrace what others in my congregation are going through, uh, praying regularly for the whole congregation, praying for needs as you're part of the uh, prayer letter, the uh, email that goes out. Um, and, and then some of you are going down the directory and praying for people in that way, getting to know people in small group, praying for them, letting their lives enter into your life. Uh, that's where, obviously, it, it begins. <clears throat> so, uh, this encouragement that we're going to feel from one another is because of our love for them and because we see God's faithfulness in their lives and we see their faithfulness and it encourages us. Don't uh, omit that encouragement from your life. And then secondly, <clears throat> to serve each other. And there's so many things uh, in here, like at least seven, that, that talk about this servanthood or under which I'm going to talk about this servanthood. First of all is this term, beloved, right? He's beloved uh, brother in verse 7. And uh, Luke is called the beloved physician, right, later. And Onesimus in verse 9, beloved brother. So it's a regular term. And Paul uses this in talking to churches sometimes, uh, calling them his beloved brothers. I'd like to root this in the big picture, okay, about what it means to be the beloved and to belong uh, amongst those who are the beloved. First of all, this is rooted in the uh, baptism of Christ and his the, when the glory cloud comes upon Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he is transfigured into something like lightning and like looks like the sun, that this voice comes and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the glory cloud on the mountain is amazing because it's really reminiscent of what was likely the glory cloud in the original, uh, in, in Eden itself, where God would move it's called it walking on on the ground in the garden but likely the glory cloud and then the glory cloud appears in uh, the exodus uh, out of egypt and the glory cloud rests upon the tabernacle and the temple which have in them these signs of eden these signs of paradise so they're the pictures of being returned to paradise under god's glory and then to think that this new paradise now finds itself resting on Christ himself. And in that new paragraph, in that new paradise that Jesus is bringing about through his death and resurrection, he is the beloved of his Father. How wonderful. Even in Ephesians 1, he's called the beloved, but it's interesting You are blessed in the beloved, Paul says in Ephesians 1. You are associated now with the beloved. And early in Colossians 3, he actually says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You have become the beloved in Christ Jesus. And in we won't go into the passages, but there's much talk in Scripture about how 
in the imagery of the Old Testament, the glory of God rests upon you. Even to the point that Peter can say, even when you suffer, don't worry, the spirit of glory rests upon you. Spirit of glory, I love that. Well, this is the backdrop for each of us being the beloved of the other, right? It's, it's like John says, we love because he first loved us. And I, could, I want to put it this way. You are my beloved and I am your beloved because we are his beloved, okay? I am your beloved and you are my beloved because we are his beloved. And, and I must view you as the beloved of God. Beloved to the point that Jesus died for you. Beloved to the point that Jesus has identified himself with you. You are that beloved of God. I must make you my beloved. And you, me. To the point that Paul can say in Colossians 4 verse 1. I mean Philippians 4 verse 1. The letter right before. Therefore my brothers whom I love and long for. My joy and crown. Stand firm in the Lord. So you're my brothers. I love you. You're my joy. You're my crown. You're my honor that I would know you. You're my honor that I would serve you. Do we regard one another as our crown, our joy, our beloved in him. This, I just I wanted to root this in the big concept in Scripture of who we are. To see your brothers and sisters, the beloved on whom the glory of God rests. These are noble people you're here with. We're lousy sinners in ourselves, but we are glorious in Christ. And we are called forth to love one another as Jesus has loved us as well. Then he uses this word uh, faithful several times in referring to uh, Tychicus, faithful minister, and Onesimus, our faithful brother. And earlier, he mentions Epaphras uh, later, who's one of you. And earlier in the letter, in the very first chapter, he talked about Epaphras, Epaphras because Epaphras was likely the person who founded this church in Colossae. Um, and he called him a faithful minister of Christ Jesus. And here's some of the ideas about faithful, okay? We, we tend to think of faithful as strictly doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it, which there is that to faithful. But think of it in this, these ways. Faithful to continue to trust in God and Christ. Faithful to see God's goodness in all things. Faithful to have hope and expectation of what God's going to do in his church. Faithful to adore. Faithful to meet needs. Faithful to do good in every way possible to others and count them as more important than yourself. Faithful to manifest the character of Christ. Faithful especially when things don't go well, when people fail you, when things don't go your way in the church, when you're hurt. To be faithful. That's the hardest time, right? To be faithful to Christ for the sake of Christ. To think, oh Lord Jesus, nothing has come close to what happened to you and all of your friends turning against you and abandoning you and you're left absolutely to yourself suffering on a Roman uh, cross. 
Lord, give me grace that I will love even these people. And I guarantee, as Justin, uh, the comedian in South Louisiana, I guarantee you that you will be mistreated and hurt in this church. I'm not saying it because it's a bad church. I think we have a good church. But you will be hurt. You will not be treated well at all times because we're all sinners. And we all have the wonderful privilege of loving each other as Christ has mercifully loved us. And part of that is being faithful in these ways. Faithful, I think, particularly in regard to hope and the expectation of God's goodness. Oh, we need we need a church full of people that are faithful to hope in God, faithful to hope in what God's going to do in each of our lives, and that His commitment to me exceeds what anything anybody may do or not do for me. And along these lines of being the beloved, one another's beloved, and, and faithful to one another, uh, we he mentions the word servant several times. And this is rooted in our salvation that we become servants of Christ because in each case he says a servant in the Lord or servant of Jesus Christ. So this servanthood is oriented to Christ. So Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 5, he died so that we'd no longer serve ourselves, but we would serve the Lord who bought us. That's the fundamental transformation that occurs in salvation. The fundamental change when we see the beauty and glory of Christ is like, okay, I'm over me. Not perfectly. I'm just saying in general, I'm over me. I'm going to be about you now. Wonderful freedom. Wonderful release from what I was to the expansion of my life getting to be about this unlimited Lord of glory instead of about little peon me. And then Paul can say in that same book, in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, he says, we don't proclaim ourselves. He said, we proclaim Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So there's the connection. I'm a servant of Christ, and because these are his people, Paul says, we are your servants for his sake. So my servanthood is rooted in my servanthood to Christ, but it must and does spill out to become a servant of his people. And this keeps me also energized and sustained and motivated because just like we talked about in your work, whatever your work is, you get to have the motivation and a joy of it all being for Christ. Same thing in your service for the people of God. It's rooted in you belong to Jesus and you want to please Him and be used in others' lives uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have this mutual uh, servanthood uh, for one another, uh, this mutual common uh, desire, too, that we're all servants of Christ and we're all given up to this same purpose in our lives. This... You see from in, in all of these uh, revelations of them that uh, it is they have this heart for uh, God's people. So there's that we're each other's beloved. We're faithful to one another. 
we are servants of one another. And then some more specifics are, are laid out here, and I'll just run through them. Uh, he talks about Epaphras, who was the founder of the church, apparently, and because he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Now, this could have to do with just the general struggle of prayer. Prayer is hard work. Prayer is difficult, and it probably includes that. But it really points to the fact that he is intensely involved in their lives, intensely praying for them, like bound up, you know, in that kind of heart that is just fervently praying. Like James says, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Isn't that interesting? Why would it matter how you pray? But it does matter because God's like, do you really want this or not? You really care about this? Do you care about these people? Do you, are you really bound up in their lives? Do you, does this have any real concern of yours or not? I remember uh, growing up, I was not a kid who prayed. Well, I did pray. It's part of my testament. We prayed the Lord's Prayer every night because I thought if I could stand before God and I had a few more good things to outweigh the bad things, maybe I'd get into heaven, you know. So, it's a quick thing. You say the Lord's Prayer. There's a good one right on that side, you know. So, I'm thinking if I die at night, maybe this will push me over the edge and I'll pass. That's how bad my thinking was about how you get to heaven. But I prayed intensely. And I'm not saying this was a real prayer. I'm just saying the intensity of it. Uh, My mother accidentally, well, it wasn't her fault, it was the cat's fault. The cat was lying in the driveway. She backed the car over the cat. cat was, I won't tell you what was going on, but we got the cat in a box, got him to the vet. I was maybe eight or nine years old, and I was in the floorboard in the back seat, earnestly praying for the first time in my life because I loved this cat. I didn't want it to die. I loved our dogs, our cats, you know. Earnest, earnest, earnest prayer, intense. And the one time I saw my father pray with intensity was after my brother, Mark, had been in a boating accident uh, and was thrown out of a boat. The propeller hit his arm three times. And then a day or two later, he contracted gangrene. And my dad told about the time he just wept. As a doctor, he knew what was going to be involved when all this muscle was taken off to protect him. I've never heard my dad with trembling tears pray to God as he did in that hospital room. And I want to tell you, I want to urge you to enter into that kind of prayer for one another, that kind of prayer for the world, that kind of prayer for Ryan Anderson on the campus at TCU, that kind of prayer for the Gravers as they go to Germany. Let's struggle in prayer, brothers and sisters. Let's ask God, Lord, connect me so that this is so important to me. It just consumes me in prayer. I'm gripped in prayer. And that kind of prayer energizes prayer, right? It's not boring prayer. Nobody, I wasn't bored when I was praying for my cat, you know. I was just like utterly engaged 
So that's the kind of prayer because of our love for one another, because of our devotion to one another. It's love and reality and empathy joined together. Love, the reality of what we're facing, it is a life and death spiritual world out there, and our empathy for one another. Well, there are other things here that, uh, are, are, that are mentioned. Encouraging one another in ministry, uh, as he tells them to say to Archippus that you fulfill your ministry, as Paul talks about the comfort he received from his own, that were especially comforting to him because amongst all these Gentiles, there are a few Jews that were on his team that with him had seen Jesus as Messiah when so many of his Jewish uh, uh, cohorts had rejected, but they're with him. And he said, gosh, it's a real comfort to me that they're with me. And so there's that encouragement to one another and comfort for one another and to engage in ministry, to help one another find your ministry and, and encourage one another to do that ministry, that you have significance, you have an honor and a privilege and a responsibility. Enter into the joy of the service that God's called you to. There's the idea of seeking the word together as they're to read Laodicea's letter and Laodicea is to read their letter that we all are letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, that we're becoming mature in understanding all the will of God, which means all that God has revealed in Christ Jesus that we're going to explore together as God's people, exploring His gracious will set forth in Christ for us. And then finally, he ends with grace be to you, where he began the letter, grace and peace to you from God our Father that we're to believe in this wonderful grace of God, that we're to uh, know the peace of it, the shalom of it, that we rejoice in this grace, we let, it to pervade our, let it pervade our lives and to make one another understand it more and more, that you are accepted in the beloved, that God is committed to you so that as Paul says, he is for you and nothing can be against you. We all need to hear that message from each other when we're discouraged, when we've been broken, when we've failed, to constantly hear that it is grace that governs your life. God is for you, and not even this thing can be against you because God, the God of the heavens and the earth, is for you, and nothing can turn away His favor from you. That He accepts you, that He is changing you, that He's using everything for your sake. Let's constantly encourage one another with that grace and speak that grace into one another's lives so that we can walk faithfully in Him. Let us pray. Lord, we pray, bless us with a deeper and deeper embrace of all that You've done for us in Christ Jesus, encouraging one another in this gospel to the day that You come and make all things new. Amen.